HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Time for Lunch podcast. And one way that Heritage Radio Network has impacted me is it has given me the opportunity to sit down and talk with hundreds of people from all over the world and different cultures. And it is always eye-opening the things that I learn and get to share on Heritage Radio Network. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes educates, and empowers. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member today. Thank you for your support. Good morning, Bobby. How are you? Good morning, Zoss. I'm doing okay. I'm I'm managing okay. I'm glad it's Friday. I love Fridays. Yeah, Friday has historically been a good day for us. I remember growing up, we always like spent Fridays together because I went to a school when I was younger that we used to have a half day on Fridays. And I remember you always used to pick me up from school at like noon and we'd go have lunch or do something. So Fridays always felt like a special, special day. So Happy yeah. Friday to everybody. And I've always been proud to say I pretty much over the last, I don't know how many years, 40 years, have never worked on Friday. It's just kind of like a That's day great. that I've chosen not to work. So love Fridays. Yeah. So this Friday, or whenever you guys are listening to this uh, episode, we are reading a listener letter. And it's wonderful when you guys write into the show. We really deeply appreciate it. And it's a cool way to kind of connect without, you know, doing the kind of standard interview, but to hear some of um, your your stories and your feedback and um, to kind of get to talk about it on the show is, is wonderful. So we have a beautiful letter that we were sent today um, via carrier pigeon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We were just talking about mail and opening mail the old fashioned way, but this was actually sent to us in an email. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we really appreciate it. So Bobby, you want to tell us a little bit about the listener letter today and maybe take it, uh, read it for us? Sure. It actually was such, it came at such an interesting time because I had noticed 
with my clients with the beginning of summer, that summer brings up a lot for people. We have rich memories in the summer. And this is like a memory letter. I really love, love this letter. Also, summer is just like a defining time. Like, uh, you, it, I don't know, I feel like people be like, this is a great summer, or this is a weird summer, or this was mm-hmm. a yeah. sad summer. Like, summer is such a distinct kind of time. You know, it's specific. There's high expectations. There's like, re- like you said, rich memories and traditions and rituals, you know, it's similar in some way, I think, like to the holidays in that right, way. Exactly. That there's like, Absolutely. You know, it's charged. Exactly. And it's not the holidays of the summer. It's itself a holiday. Um, exactly. Yeah. And actually, when I think about it, you know, that was always the term that was described when somebody went away in the summer. It was called, we're going for holiday. Well, yeah, that's how they say it's like a European, uh, right, a European term, yeah. So I was very appreciative to get this letter, and it starts off, Dear Bobby and Zara, I'm writing to you today because I have been listening to process, processing at the advice of someone in my bereavement group. I listened to several episodes trying to find the ones that most related to my situation. I find myself a widow after 50 years of marriage. I miss my best friend terribly. My beloved husband of 50 years died this past winter. His death came after a sudden, severe episode. I say episode because the doctors never really were able to explain to me clearly what happened. We were celebrating our 50th anniversary with a special trip to our favorite place in the world. And then quite suddenly, out of nowhere, we were in the hospital emergency room in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. What was once our magical haven is now a nightmare in my mind that I go over and over. We went to the Berkshires to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary, and I went home alone with my husband in a casket. Let me explain. Lou and I were married on January 1st, 1972. We were young and so much in love. We met in high school and struggled that first semester in separate colleges. That Christmas vacation, we ran away up to New England and eloped because we couldn't bear to be apart and wanted to spend the rest of our life together. We had our honeymoon for one night at the Red Lion Inn in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. I remember I it cost. The red I know everybody knows the red line. Mm. I remember it cost thirty-five dollars a night. Wow. <laughs> we came back home Very to Long affordable. Island, confessed our love and secret marriage to our family, and we moved into Lou's family home where we lived for five years, and both finished our teaching degrees at local college. It was great both being teachers because we had the summers and vacations off together. Every year, both on our anniversary, January first, and during the summer. We went back to the Berkshires, always staying at the Red Lion Inn, usually getting the same room. Oh, that's so sweet. Room 24 we first had in 1972. Lou and I never had children, so our time in the Berkshires always felt like our honeymoon. That's how we would be together. Very close, very romantic, cuddling, and so sweet together. (laughs) Well, you can just picture them. Yeah. You can only imagine how special the Red Lion Inn and Stockbridge and the Berkshires have meant to us. We only missed one year in 2021 during the pandemic. Wow. Through the years, we have watched many changes in the Berkshires, but the Inn and Stockbridge has stayed the same. We always had Manhattans by the fireplace. Well, you know, we can picture this because we know the Red Lion Inn. We always had. We do, yeah, it's beautiful. We always had Manhattans by the fireplace in the winter. Cosmos on the porch in the summer. We did that. Mm. We always had dinner in the main dining room, that beautiful dining room. Same order every year. New England clam chowder, Caesar salad, rack of lamb, and warm brown 
sugar cake for dessert. Wow. We also went to many other places in the Berkshires over the years. The Shaker Mill Inn, the Berkshire Gardens, Norman Walkwell Museum, Amici's, Tanglewood picnics in the summer. They all became our special place. I could go on and on about the wonderful seasons we spent. Lou and I both love food, beauty, nature, and we had so many rich memories together there. We may not have traveled the world, but we found our magical place in the Berkshires. Here is why I'm telling you the story. I realized that my sweet, precious memories are so tied into the painful memories of Lou's death. I longed to go back there this summer to be in all the places we loved and even stay where we did and eat what we ate. I feel like I could feel close to him there. I feel so lonely. I miss him so much. I want to remember all those special times, but I'm scared that it will be too painful. My best friend has offered to go with me, but I can't imagine sharing our special times and places with anybody else but Lou. It was always just the two of us. I know you have interviewed a lot of people who have had similar experiences with special memories and grief. I would like to be on your show, but I still feel very shy to discuss my life. I do feel okay with you reading my letter and even reading it on the show. I'm so eager to hear your thoughts about my dilemma. Do I expose myself to more grief or do I never return to the place where we spent so many wonderful years with so many special memories? Thank you in advance for taking the time to help me. Sincerely, Lori. Yes, we were Lori and Lou. Oh, <laughs> Lori and Lou. It's so sweet. What is? Yeah, what a sweet letter. That's oh. so. That's so special. All those really distinct memories, and it's a beautiful area up there for sure. We grew up. I mean, I grew up going with you and you and Rob and um, you know our family to that area, so we know it well. So it's especially kind of special being able to relate to the the surroundings and it is beautiful up there and it's simple and lovely and the red lion inn is such a historic place it's been there for it's over a century and yeah yeah it's really a really incredible place and it really hasn't changed much since the 1800s <laughs> still have the same i think couches right um but no it's a really it's a really special place and that's a sweet letter and it is so hard and i mean every like we were saying before like you know, summer has some similarities to like the holidays and in terms of being these like kind of supercharged times when you're mm -hmm. meant to make these memories and you often do make these really special memories and have, you know, all these traditions and stuff like that. And, you know, this is, it's so hard to figure out how to keep doing that stuff. I think we've addressed this in the past with, with our with guests memories, and with right? other listener yeah. letters. Yeah. Yeah. With food yeah. Memories. So what did, what did you, what do you think of Lori's letter? Well, I had a couple of thoughts, you know, I work with so many people who have had loss, and this comes up a lot. It comes up with families who take family vacations together every year. Um, it comes up with couples often have the same place that they go. You know, I know Rob and I have that. We always go to Montauk every year. So there's so many people that have that in, built into their um, their rituals and their customs of their, of their as a couple and as a family. So this is a really common theme, and that's why I'm glad that Lori wrote, because I think it's a really good thing to discuss. And, and like we said, holidays bring that up. And we've talked about it, about the holidays and the summer, especially living in the Northeast where the summer is so special. It's so distinct and so different. And, you know, I mean, so many families have different things. They go to Maine and they go, you know, and so then what do you do after the person who, who you, in your family, whether it's a family or your partner, what do you do then? Do you go back to those places ever again? Do you never go again? You know? So, yeah. That's that's the big question. And and everybody there's no right answer. I guess that's the most important thing to say to Lori. 
is that there really isn't a right answer. It's okay never to go again, ever, ever, and say, I never want to go there. I want to leave that in a special treasure chest, you know, of my memories, and I'm not going. Um, or the other thing is to realize that there might be some avoidance. And so we'll talk about that in a minute, about avoidance, because that's, avoidance is interesting. We, we do it to protect ourselves, right? Right. You know, we've often talked about the turtle on the show, and the turtle's a perfect example. You know, the turtle shell goes up to protect us from more pain and from too much pain. And that's why I think it's a little soon as Lori writes this letter, but because I think she mentioned he died this this winter. So that means yeah. it's six months later. Now, I'm not here to judge too soon, too little. I have no idea. Everybody's different. But I think in the beginning, my point is, is that we do use avoidance and we do use denial and we need it. You know, because we can't right, handle the full load of the grief all at once. Yeah, I mean, it really just depends, I guess, like whenever people talk about things that either things they can't cook again or places they can't go or things that feel too, you know, I think that's like so personal. Yeah. And I think if like it feels like you're deciding to abstain from that for like a reason that feels pure and good and like healthy for you and just like yeah you know what I used to really love this but like if it feels like something you're avoiding because it's like and you and you wish you weren't avoiding it and you there's some part of you that wishes that you could face it either because it's something or you and somewhere you enjoyed going or something you enjoyed eating or something you really enjoyed doing and you're missing that and grieving the loss of that action or thing or place then like I think there's something there to explore and see if you can, you know, manage to face it or experience it or cook it or taste it again. You know what I mean? Right. If it really feels like, if it feels in a healthy place, like I, I really truly feel healthy about this and not, not experiencing this or going to this place again, that's one thing. And that's, that's fine. And, and even if it isn't unhealthy and, and it's something that like you miss or feels like a stuck spot for you and mm -hmm. you still avoid it and you go your whole life with avoiding it. That's mm -hmm. okay it's too. Okay like some too. things Absolutely. Are, are too hard, you know? Absolutely. 100%. We each get to do it our way. And, but, you know, I wanted to bring up, I had once talked about the dual process of grief and I think it's important to mention it again is that in the beginning, it's just grief. So with grief comes the protection. It's natural. It's like, um, you know, I, I, I had a breakup my, in my foot and my toe recently. And I noticed that the body swelled and it got swollen and I couldn't feel it. And that was almost like the physical example mm. of what happens of how we protect ourselves from trauma. So our psyche right. does the same thing. So we really have to honor denial and avoidance because it's our right. way of protecting ourselves from getting overloaded. My foot was protecting me from walking on it because it was so swollen right. that I couldn't walk on it. It was my body was telling me, do not do this. So I think yeah, the psyche really does the same point. thing. Yeah, the psyche does the same thing. And it's hard and painful because in the beginning, sometimes people say, like, I feel numb. I'm not grieving. How could I not be thinking about them? Like, what's wrong with me? I, I, people are going to think I didn't love them enough. Or No, it's the protection. And it's very, very important to honor that because the psyche can only, if it gets overloaded, the psyche, it crashes. You know? Yeah, that's a very interesting thing. And then it's, I think, useful, like talk, either talk therapy or whatever kind of form of therapy or processing that, you know, you choose to do. It's important to try to do that because then 
you know, once you're out of that initial, you know, as you mentioned about your toe swelling protection, protective phase, like then when the reality is kind of setting in, then it's the time to kind of decide how you want to move, move with the grief and the experience after like that initial kind of shock phase uh, is over. And it really is, a, and it becomes really more of a reality. Right. And that's why people tell stories a lot in the beginning, because it's not talking about the grief. It's, it's telling stories. That's safer. It feels much, so much safer. And you filled with stories. You know, it's like the yeah. entrance into grief. For sure. Do you have anywhere that like this reminds you of in terms of, you know, uh, what Lori is saying in her letter um, that like feel that way for you? Places you used to go with people that you've lost that feel like you can't go anymore or that oh, was hard absolutely. for you at any point? Absolutely. Oh. Like where? Well, actually, <laughs> I remember this story when we went back to Florida. Now, Grandma lived in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, we went there every single year. Every year. It was a ritual I did with your dad. By the way, today would have been the 51st wedding anniversary of your dad and myself. Oh, my gosh. So wow. that's part of memories. I can't imagine that. Yeah, so that's part of memories. So, so wild. Yeah, interesting also because with um, Lori's letter... I could relate to her age. I imagine that she was probably about my age because by the story that she told. But anyway, yeah, going yeah. back to one of my uh, events that happened, grandma lived in Boca Raton. I went there every year, first with your dad, with you. Um, it was just a place that was so many, many memories there. And we lived there when you were from zero to two. We lived there right after your birth. We went there. So lots of memories there. And Grandma was so rich, as we talked about her many times. So Boca Raton and that whole area of Southern Rich Florida, in spirit, not yes. rich. In, <laughs> holds not so money rich. many memories. So the first time I went back after her um, funeral, it was maybe six months later or something like that, we pulled into um, West Palm Beach Airport, and the first place we were going to go was the cemetery. And um, so we had a rental car, and then we had the whole array of what I call the reality tour. We were going to go to all the places that we always went past her apartment and all the places we went and everything. And so the first stop was the cemetery. We pull into the cemetery. I walk up. It's had a round circular driveway. It was this big cemetery. I walk up to the, to the gravestone. I'm standing there. And all of a sudden I turn around. When we pulled in, there was nobody there. I turn around and a huge funeral had started and we were blocked in. We were locked in. Oh we couldn't gosh. get out. We couldn't get out for an hour and a half until the funeral was over. And I was going wow. nuts. I didn't, I don't like the cemetery. I wanted to go on the reality tour and I was mm -hmm. locked into the, into the cemetery. So that's one memory that I have where it didn't go very well. Mm. Um, but going back to the dual process of grieving again. So in the beginning, there's just grief. And then over time we start to do little things. And I think the little things start to desensitize our avoidance. I mean, everybody I work with, they first start off the first weeks, months. They, it's hard to do anything that they used to do. You know, everything reminds me. I noticed that with, with Bo's death, you know, two weeks ago, that everything I used to do with her, the first time is like so hard. It's so, it's like going through mm. molasses, you know, and you want to avoid mm. it. Like I didn't want to work in my office because Bo and I always worked in the office. I wish I could have moved my office. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, you know, you start to do it and you begin to desensitize a little bit, you know, which is desensitized from the agony. I guess that's the best way I can put it. So it's not as if you go numb, but you begin to not have as much avoidance and as much pain. 
But, you know, that's why I named my business Bittersweet. I've mentioned it many times on the air. Because in the beginning, approaching all the things we used to do feels so bitter. Totally. But do we choose to never go through the bitterness so that we never get to the sweet? Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's totally true. And, you know, I wonder just going back to what you were just saying, like maybe for Lori or any other listener who's having a similar situation, whether it's like, you know, a vacation or a place or a thing that they like to cook, because this comes up so often in all different ways. Maybe like, I don't know what you think of this from like a therapy point of view, but doing it like slowly. So maybe instead for Lori, instead of like, instead of just like, you know, taking her best friend and just going to the red line in doing the whole thing and getting a room, et cetera. Maybe there's like small things. Exactly. Maybe like she could have rack of lamb and a Caesar salad like at home. Perfect. Or maybe like she could take a drive through Stockbridge, but not stay. Or, you know what I mean? Like just small things or try staying somewhere else. But like, so maybe instead of just like immersing in the whole experience, which might be like really difficult, kind of like you were saying about like, you know, just doing like, maybe try some, some small steps already that like will feel helpful into like, and then you can see like, oh, maybe I do feel ready for this. And then maybe the first time you go, I don't know your relationship with your best friend. Like, I know that I'm someone who... I do have a couple of best friends that I could definitely go and do something that would be painful and yes. hard with. And like, even if it's a weird experience, I know like it would be okay to have them, but I'm also someone who kind of likes to do hard things and a lot of things, uh, easy things alone. So like, you know, it might also, I guess maybe just suss out the value in each of those options, yes, you know, like absolutely. there might be something for you in just like having that experience alone and not having a in any way worry about someone else's experience or I don't know. And really be present for yourself. That way you could truly Mm -hmm. be present for yourself and not think about anybody else, but you, what you're going through. Because what we talk about on grief and what we admire and try to promote for ourselves is to make space for grief. We, we try not to, um, you know, we try to go through it when we can and make space for it. So I, I agree with you that maybe going by herself, but you had a beautiful thought. It's exactly what I tell people all the time about the cemetery because many people say, I can't go to the cemetery. I'll never go to the cemetery. And then I said, well, well, why don't you start slowly? Why don't you first say, I'm going to the cemetery and leave the house and lock the door and then run back in the door <laughs> and then yeah. say to yourself, I'm going to go to the cemetery, unlock the door, get out of the door, you know, go into the car and then run back to the house and then sure. progressively get yourself there. So I think that was a very, very good or idea. Or maybe go to another cemetery. Right. That's not right. where your loved one is buried. Right. Just to like feel what it's like to be in a cemetery, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the cemetery. And then maybe you can go to like the cemetery, but not go to the grave of your love. No, no, no. Maybe there's just ways to like. Right. It's called progressive desensitization. And it's, it's actually um, a a method that's used with trauma. You know, let's say somebody had an accident, getting back in the car again. You know, so that's, it's a very, very good point. There's one other thing that I like to call it, which is called, you know, buddying, um, buddying with something that's pleasant. Mm. So what I mean by that, this is really a beautiful story that my client has said that I could tell because she's actually told this publicly, but it's a woman who, um, lost a baby at birth and, uh, then she became pregnant again and she wanted to go back to the same doctor, but it was really, really hard. The first time when she knew she was pregnant and she had to go back to the doctor, it was like in another town, you know, yeah, she couldn't, she couldn't make the trip, like getting in the car, 
going into the office. It was like almost impossible. So she did the sweetest, most beautiful thing. She went to a florist. She bought a bouquet of flowers. She went to a nursing home that she knew was on the way. She walked in the door and said, I would like to give this to somebody that I don't know. It was the sweetest thing. And she gave it to somebody she didn't know and filled with that type of a feeling, she was able to get to the doctor's office. Wow, that's so incredible. I know. That's a really, really sweet story. I know. Wow. That's like, I mean, just this is a little bit of a left turn, but it's just interesting thinking about, because I know plenty of people, but some people specifically who are just going through such a hard time and having difficulty figuring, finding their way out of it. You know, like it's just this like, feedback loop of grief and pain and depression and it's interesting how like doing things for other people and like really uh is a good way to be able to face doing hard things because I think it snaps you out of your own feedback loop yes you know yes and like like we've talked about like depression or like really deep grief it can often be really inward looking and and, you know that makes sense because you're thinking about protecting yourself all the time and it's totally reasonable but I think like, you know, one of those things is like to to do something for somebody else um, and think about other people is really huge. Absolutely. You know, I've been reading a book lately, which I would like to read together and maybe talk about on the show. But it's a beautiful yeah, yeah, book called about The it. Smell of Rain on Dust mm. by Martine Pritchell. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because he talks about the inextricable connection between grief and praise which means it's like it's like our blueberry pie story that we told last week. That was a very good example to me of grief and praise because in the middle mm. of the most profound grief of Bo's dying and her burial, you're making the blueberry pie tie together the praise of life and living connected with the grief. And so I think what we're saying now is that sometimes when we have to do something that's hard that we want to avoid, if we can connect it either with something we do for somebody else or if we can connect it with praise of life, it, yeah. it helps us get through it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to kind of just go back to Lori's letter, um, you know, like this is just six months in. And so summertime, I'm sure, brings about all different kind of feelings and places, you know, and going up on on vacation. So Lori, maybe there's like, you know, we kind of just mentioned dipping your toe and maybe there's just a couple of things you can do this summer, like yes. right now that feel like they're small steps. And so maybe by the time your anniversary comes around and yeah. that's going to be like a big, yeah. and you know, it'll be also the, you know, near the anniversary it's of his passing, maybe right. like, and you know, so maybe there's some nurturing things you can do this summer and just start small. Like, um, some delicious summer foods that are special, you know, right. Summer foods are so special. There are things that you can only really get and eat in the summertime, peaches and corn and tomatoes and, and barbecue, fresh basil and stuff like that. So, um, maybe there's just a couple little things, whether it's just like a warm peach or like a nice, you know, corn on the cob or something that, um, you can do that reminds you of Lou and, um, some of your food memories together, kind of ease you back into that. Mm, that's so sweet. That's, I love that. You know, the other thing I'd like to talk about is avoidance because there is a piece that we all face, as we said, that's a protection, but sometimes it can get chronic and it's a choice. It's okay. It's, it's definitely okay, but it has a price to pay. 
because in a way, then we're not doing that dual model of grief. We're not moving into living and it's not balanced, you know, so avoidance can keep us from living. So it's important to notice avoidance when it becomes chronic because it can be a sign of unprocessed grief and trauma. And there are ways, you know, as I have mentioned on the um, air before that um, EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which is a method for trauma, um, is something that therapists like myself use all the time to help people with um, unprocessed trauma and grief. And it does help you in a, um, in a way where it's affecting actual brain chemistry. Um, it helps you to move through things that you avoid, but it helps you move them through them safely with the help of a therapist. So I would always suggest that. Yeah. EMDR has done wonders for people. And like, I guess, yeah, the thing, knowing an avoidant very closely, my, my dad was such an avoidant person. Um, and I think because like seeing where it landed him, like really made, was such a huge wake up call to me. Like I, and I think that coupled with like the trauma of my accident and seeing how like quickly things change. Like I'm opposite of avoidant. I'm like, what is the opposite of avoidant? Um, crazed. <laughs> uh, no. Well, what well, you said it before, sometimes we can face things, face them. And sometimes we're not re- regarding and respecting the fact that we need to do it right. slowly and that it's overstimulating right, there is and we don't ground. really process it. Cause sometimes if you do it too fast, you don't really process it. That's true. So I've been trying to get better at that. But like, yeah, I mean, it is really important to some, to, like we started off saying, and we've said a couple of times so far, like it is important to honor the part of you that feels like avoiding and look at it and be like, why, why am I doing this? You know, like, what is this part? Like, oh, okay. This part is meant to protect me. Um, it's meant to keep me safe. It's meant, meant so I don't die as well. You know what I mean? Of pain. And it just Um, hurts too much. Yeah. Right. But like, you're right. Like if you do, if you do let it go on too long, like no one's going to stop you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like no one, like people might encourage you from time to time to like, Hey, like maybe you should face this thing or work on this. But really at the end of the day, no one's going to, if you want to avoid stuff for your whole life and become more and more avoidant and push people away, like no one's going to stop you the world isn't really paying attention to the fact that that's happening and you can live your life however you want. However, there is so much to be missed in that, in holding on to those feelings for too long. And that's what's said without judgment, because I really do understand that there's things that are beyond my scope of comprehension. Like there are pains that are so big or things that happen that are so major or things that happen that are just major to you because of whatever your chemistry is. The way the trauma affects you, exactly. Yeah, like, and that's really personal. However, we all do have just this very short time on earth. And like, at times, like, I think like, you know, I think it can become a thing of like, proving how, how much pain you're in, you know what I mean? Or your loyalty through like, being like, I'll avoid and I'll won't have any fun. I won't live as like some way of honoring your lost loved one because like you're not meant to have joy or pleasure Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you don't know how to like be able to love life or love yourself again and you definitely don't have to and maybe you won't all the way ever but it's worth trying because it doesn't change anything it doesn't change what happened it doesn't change the course of events that were likely brutally unfair 
and heartbreaking, it doesn't take them away. You know what I mean? Um, By abstaining from joy and abstaining from living your life. Um, So I guess the goal is to not go the other direction where it's like, oh, well, I'm fine. Like, let's not even worry about that. There's life to live. Right, right. You're not honoring your grief. Exactly. But um, finding some kind of uh, middle ground there, I guess, would be the goal. And, And to Lori and to any other listener who is you know, either newly grieving or just continuing to grieve a loss that happened at any time in their life. Like, um, I really just hope that you can find that balance, whatever that balance is for you. But just remember that like living and doing things that bring you joy is okay. You know? It's also part of, it's how we grieve, you know, that, that that's why I always mention that dual model because the dual model is about living and grieving and learning to live with grief. And the, the word there isn't just grief, it's live. So how do we do both? Yeah. And I have this image of the seesaw lately a lot. I keep thinking about a seesaw. It's just, a, I think I mm. saw one in a park recently and it reminded me of what a beautiful metaphor it is. You know, that balance. And sometimes it goes to one side or to the other side, but where we're most, you know, that feeling when you're on a seesaw and you're right in the middle and the, it's balanced. It's yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, um, that's but, a really good metaphor. Yeah. But I want to go back to um, the thing about avoidance again. I, use, I call it the circle of avoidance because it seems to get bigger and bigger. And whether it comes from a story that we tell ourselves, which is what you were saying before, like I can't live because they're not here. So it's not fair for me to live. That's kind of a story that we tell ourselves either implicitly or explicitly, or sometimes it's the trauma itself that creates yeah. the avoidance. Or being afraid to move away from the grief because yes. you get so used to it. You know what I mean? Exactly. And because you're like, don't know who you'll be without it. That's scary. You exactly. Know? You don't know how you'll be stay connected with the loved one without it. So these are all exactly, reasons. Yeah. And that's why I urge people if they're listening and they notice these kinds of things to bring it to therapy, because here's what I've noticed through the years that family will tell the, their loved one, you know, you got to go out, you got to do stuff. Mm. They're like, they have their hands over their ears. They're not listening to a word. What I do as a therapist is I feel like, and what other therapists do is we're more like a mirror. So we help the person see themselves and what's really happening and what the price to pay for the avoidance is and, and why the choices, what are some of the choices that they're making. When families tell them, go out, go, they're not really learning it, you know, and I mean, they just say no, they're resisting. So it's an yeah. interesting thing. I do really suggest that if somebody feels like um, this conversation is um, triggering something in them and they're recognizing those places of avoidance from trauma and unprocessed grief, to really speak to somebody about it. Um, there's one yeah, other thing I wanted to mention, which is ritual, which we talk a lot about. Mm. And um, ritual is another way to help um, process unprocessed feelings and also deal with avoidance. Because you were kind of mentioning that that woman's example of when she went to the um, nursing home, that was really a ritual that she did. Yeah. And it helped her, you know, and so it's sometimes is good to think about what you can do that has almost nothing to do with the thing you're avoiding, but it can totally. help you. It can help create an opportunity um, to deal with your feelings and help you move through things. So. Totally. And like, here's the thing, like sometimes you just have to throw shit at the wall and see if it sticks when you're trying to <laughs> right, like right. feel better or uh-huh. to, you know what I mean? Like when you're trying to process or get through something that feels insurmountable. So sometimes it's like, okay, well, should I go on vacation? 
Should yeah. I go take a drive? Should I start running? Should I talk to a therapist? Should I listen to podcasts? Should I write? You know what I mean? And maybe all these things will be helpful. Maybe none of them will be probably one or a couple. You know what I mean? So experiment. Try, just experimenting and getting curious, I think, around, you know, what your life is like now. And it's very strange. It's like a very strange thing. And it comes in waves and, you know, ever, I don't know. And yeah, the relationship changes. And we were talking earlier just a moment ago about being afraid to like kind of um, process your grief because it feels like, you know, the relationship you had with that person will change or slip away or like that's some, that's like um, a protector of, of your relationship in some way. And I was thinking about yesterday, I was talking to Mary because one of Mary's best friends passed away this week. And we were just talking a lot about losing loved ones and about grief. And it's just really heavy. And she's just right in the beginning of it. And I was thinking about dad and I was like, you know, my relationship with dad continued in all different ways after he died and how it's weird because often I just feel like I haven't talked to him in a really long time, you know, and I forget that he's actually dead and it still really hurts. But at the same time, like, I don't know. Yeah, he is further and further away sometimes, you know what I mean? And I can still channel him, but there was something that just struck me when I was thinking about it, like as sad as that is in some way, like. I also am grateful for that feeling mm -hmm. in a, in a yeah. weird way, mm -hmm. because I think the alternative would keep me, um, underwater from living, you know, mm -hmm. and I, it's not in any way that like I've for in any way forgotten him. I think about him every day. Like there, I, there's things I talk to him about. There's some days when I really, really, really do miss him and really just wish that I could speak to him. Um, but I think that like in the way that I've been able to process losing him, has allowed me some some freedom to to continue to live in a way where like it doesn't it doesn't consume me fully you know and the the compromise the bargain there has been yeah like it's I don't necessarily think of him as richly every single day as I did when maybe I first lost him or when he was alive and that is sad because that relationship really does change but it Something. has also given me the freedom to live my own life and I don't feel guilty about that it's beautiful I'd love to hear because that because I think I really do think that uh if he had a say in it right now he'd really want that for me I think he'd really want me to like do the things that reminded me of him and I think he'd want me to live even if that meant that maybe I thought of him less acutely every single day and like, you know, didn't put myself in the like deep pain of it every single day. I think that he would want to see me living and thriving. Mm. And I mean, maybe that's just personal. But oh, I love that. And something I was thinking about. I love that you said that. And I love to hear that, that that's where you're at. And it has to do with the, um, the, the, the transformation that happens to us in grief. It, it's a process. That's why the name of the show is such a good name, because it really yeah. is about processing and the, and the organic changes that take place everything changes everything changes it's just the way it is and i say this quote over and over again about with every loss there's change and with yeah. every change there's loss so you're describing yeah. changes in you and there is a loss but that doesn't mean you're supposed to run back to it it just means okay there's a loss of the of the kind of grief i had before because i'm changing Totally. And it's sad because it does feel like moving in a way, to be honest, like further away from the closeness of that relationship because the relationship continues and, you know, thinking about them being sad about it less 
sometimes means thinking about them a little bit less and like, you know, and maybe for me, at least I'll just say that's what it feels like for me. Um, and that's sad, but it's okay for me. You know, one of the things you know about me that maybe the listeners don't know about me is that I, I do love ritual and I love things that are symbolic of that. And I found a way with my mom, whereas I have this special light that I turn on every single morning. And it's, it's a light that, um, used to be her memorial light in the Jewish tradition. You turn, you light a candle every year at the anniversary of the death. Um, and she used to light this candle as it happened to have been electric. And so, um, she would light it at the anniversary of her daughter's death, of my sister's death. And I remember as a little girl watching her do that. And then when my mom passed away and I saw her belongings, I saw that electric light and I was just like really blown away. I was so excited to find it. And I put it right near my bed and I have um, pictures, you know, all pictures of everybody. But every single morning I wake up and I turn on the light. So it's my moment. It's no longer my connection to her, this deep grief, but it's this other kind of thing that's changed. It's morphed into that. So if we look at grief that way, that it just keeps morphing and changing and morphing and that there will be times as you describe that it doesn't feel so close in our heart, yeah. but it's still there in another form in another way. Yeah. And I don't think that's like necessarily pushing away. I don't think it's like, well, I'm going to forget about this person or deny my feelings or, you know what I mean? I just, right. I don't know. It just feels like incorporating it into a functioning life. Cause I want to function. Like I personally, I want to function and thrive like I do. So, and you know, it's interesting because I often say to people when they're in the middle of their stuck places, you know, I'll say, you know, do you want to live? Yeah. You know, and it's just a question and it's okay. I'm not looking, I'm not saying, well, you want to live, don't you? Maybe they say, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's really okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a beautiful conversation and, and Lori, you really inspired us on so many levels. Yeah, Lori, thank you so much. And we're so sorry about your oh. loss and thank you for sharing your letter with us. It was so kind and sweet and we, we loved it. So um, please, if you have a letter you'd like to share, we want to definitely do more of this because it's such a nice way to kind of have a guest, but without necessarily having a guest, but it's a whole nother way to have a guest and it's really nice and it's, it's great. To and to I would like to say, like, do you feel like going up to the red line and, and getting a cosmos on the porch? I mean, I don't mean to, <laughs> to take her food, but that sounds so good to have I New England. Red I know New England <laughs> clam chatter and Caesar salad and rack of lamb and brown butter cake. Oh my goodness. Mm, brown butter, brown so butter, good. sugar cake. Yeah. Oh, mm. So what should we have for our, our feast, Zara, today? What do you well, want to make? Well, I mean, when I think about things that remind me of summer vacation, I definitely have, and this is a privileged memory to have because it's such special food, but um, being from the Northeast, kind of New england area, um, lobster is the most summer thing. So I want to have lobster and corn and tomato salad. Mmm. With so those have that. big beefsteak tomatoes, right? Yeah, with just like some salt and lemon on yummy, them and some yummy. fresh basil. And peaches so good. for you know dessert. Peach crumble. Peaches, peaches for dessert. Sounds great with vanilla ice cream. And I really like what, having lobster with like just a simple potato too. Yeah. Like a simple, like maybe like warm potato salad. I'm. Mm. This is my summer of potato salad. Oh, listen. Let me tell you about potato salad. 
I don't know if I told sure. you this, but I went to a barbecue. You did, but tell us all. I went to a barbecue and my job, small, just four people. <laughs> my job was to bring the potato salad. And I remembered your father's potato salad. It was my favorite potato salad that I've ever had in my life. And he used to use a book. At, this was in the 70s. And there was when we had Love and Oven. And there was a company called The Store. And it was Burt Green's yeah. company. I and have it. Was it. I have the that first cookbook. gourmet. It's the best cookbook ever. Yeah. It was the first gourmet shop on Long Island. It, it was brilliant store. And they had a potato salad that was, it was, you made it warm, of course, but then it could chill. So the whole thing was mm-hmm. you cooked the potatoes, um, small little potatoes, um, then cut into slices. And when it was still warm, you added Swiss cheese or Gruyere and you let it melt into it. And then meanwhile, you've had made over on the side, a wonderful combination of mayonnaise and sour cream and chives and shallots and some light seasonings. And then when the um, Swiss cheese has melted into the potatoes, you fold in that wonderful sour cream mayonnaise fantastic mm. tons of chives yummy yummy that sounds so good we're mm-hmm. gonna make that for the pop-up this week oh um we're gonna make the swiss cheese potato salad <gasps> and just like kick i think i'm gonna kick it up a notch like your friend emerald and put like i want to put lots of cornichon in it and uh red onion and maybe like some celery like i just want to make like yeah. a totally jazzy delicious potato salad yeah lots of dill i love dill yeah Dill yeah, is my herb. It's summer. So, yeah. It's summer. I know. So I and found a nice. poem. I should I read it? It's a lovely poem. No, no, thank you. I don't know <laughs> this. I don't know this of poem. Course. It's written by Anne Bronte. I guess she was one of the Bronte sisters. And I don't know much about them, but I just know that they were. <laughs> so it's called They're an amazing singing group. <laughs> Farewell. <laughs> and now the Bronte sisters, folks. <laughs> so this was written a, a while ago, so it has some some um old language. Farewell to thee, but not farewell to all my fondest thoughts of thee. Within my heart they still shall dwell, and they shall cheer and comfort me. O beautiful and full of grace, if thou hadst never eyes met mine, I had not dreamed a living face could fancy charms so far out thee. If I may near behold again that form and face so dear to me, nor hear thy voice, still would fain preserve for I their memory. Oh, that's beautiful. It really was. What a nice poem to read. Yeah. That's really nice. Well, thank you so much, Lori. And thank you to all of you. And if you would like to be a guest on the show or you'd like to send in a letter, please contact us at processing at heritageradionetwork.org or even better, send us a direct message on Instagram at processing underscore podcast. Um, Thank you so much and take care of yourselves and each other. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. Thanks for listening! Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. 
George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.